welcome to the Film Geezers Podcast. Hello and welcome to the Film Geezers Podcast. I'm Rob Ball. I'm here as always with Cheeto. Hello. And today on this podcast, um, we're going to cover um, a film director, and that film director today is Ridley Scott. So I'm going to give a little bit of background to his life and then we'll start to discuss some of his work. Um, Scott was born 30th of November 1937 in South Shields, County Durham. That's in the northeast of England. His father was in the Royal Engineers, so they actually moved around a lot during his childhood. After World War II, they finally moved back to County Durham and settled um, in Greensback Road in Hartburn. Um as a child, he was always interested in science fiction, reading H.G. Uh, Wells' novels. Um, he went to uh, the Royal College of Art in London, um, where he made a lot of short films um, and helped to actually establish the film department there. After graduation, he went for the, to work for the BBC um, as a trainee set designer, and he worked on popular television series such as Please Cars, um, and he was actually originally assigned to design the uh, Daleks from the Doctor Who. But because of a, a scheduling conflict, he couldn't do that. Uh, in 1965, he began directing episodes of television series for the BBC. And then in 1968, uh, Ridley and his brother Tony founded Ridley Scott Associates, and they were a film and commercial production company. And they actually worked uh, alongside Alan Parker, and they made many commercials during the 70s, including probably famously the 1973 Hovis bread adverts, and also adverts for Chanel No. 5. But his intention was always to get into film directing, um, and that's where his first film comes in, um, the 1977 film The Duelists. Now, after making over 100 adverts, he... Um, he felt that no one was really approaching him to make a feature film, so he would go out and do it himself. So it's it was made on a very, very low budget, I think less than a million dollars. Um, and it's kind of a almost like a historical drama. It's based on the 1907 Joseph Conrad novella called The Duel. Um, and it's shot in France and England, it was nominated for the main prize of the Cannes Film Festival and it actually won an award for the best debut film. Um, set during the Napoleonic Wars, it follows two French cavalry officers, Dubert and Faroe, uh, played by Keith Carradine and Harvey Keitel. Um, and they quarrel over an initially minor incident and, that, and then that turns into a, a bitter feud spanning 15 years, um, over which point they actually fight, I think it's five duels, um, the film has been acclaimed for providing historical, authentic portrayal of Napoleonic uniforms and military conduct. Didn't <clears throat> really do that well at the box office, but it was a, a critical success. Um, and it, it's one of those films that I've only I only watched it the other day because I was I was researching for this this podcast. Um, I'd seen it sort of advertised before and never really thought to to give it a go just because the content it, it just seemed a bit not really my film um but then actually when i sat and watched it i thought it was really really good um it's got the usual um ridley scott you know um style 
Uh, it, it is visually stunning. You, you know, that's what you can say about all these films. Really, the fact it came it came from a TV advertising background. You can see that in his films. Yeah. You know, they they are you know cine- cinematography on their on his films is, is amazing. Um, the style of the film is actually based on the nineteen seventy film, uh, seventy five film. Sorry, Barry Lyndon, uh, which was directed by Stanley Kubrick, another historical drama. Um, and I believe that the actual film is, throughout the whole film, it only uses natural light. There's no artificial light in, in the film, uh, which makes it a little bit dark, but it does add to its authenticity, I, I believe. Um, so, yeah, I did really enjoy it. It's it's one that I would, that I would uh, recommend to anybody. Um, and then sort of moving on then, <clears throat> we've got, obviously probably the film that he's most famous for. Um, he'd originally planned next to adopt a version of Tristan and Isolt, which is a kind of 12th century romantic story. But after seeing Star Wars, he became convinced of the potential of a large-scale effects-driven film. So then he accepted the job of directing Alien, the 1979 horror-slash-science-fiction film that would win him international success. And that's the film that he's probably most well known for now. Um and for for a second film, I mean it is pretty pretty amazing, yeah, isn't it? Yeah. Really. Um he also made the decision to switch the um standard action hero to a heroine. Um in Ellen Ripley, played by Sigourney Weaver, which again at the time, back in sort of the late seventies, this was sort of unheard of really. Mm. Um but throughout his career he's never been <clears throat> averse to to casting strong women as a as a hero, um, Alien has spawned four sequels. I think only th- one of them he hasn't been involved in. That's yeah. the uh, James Cameron Aliens. Yeah, um, no matter how many times like I watch this film, because it's been quite a few, it still feels fresh every time I put it on. Um, I love the whole set design because you, you can tell that he did get inspiration from. Um, Star Wars because he also uses models for his um, spacecraft like the Nostromo so you can see he took aspects certainly from Star Wars and I think that for a film that's more than 40 years old it feels less outdated than some science action films that have come out after it you know which is so odd because it's like you can see like even like the computers or the, the keyboard they use it's you can tell it's from a different era, but like I said, there could be um, so many films that have come after it, say like in the 90s, where they've tried to use like trash CD, CGI. It just doesn't age well at all. And this film, it nothing in this film really dates it to when it came out. Like It's, it's always going to be a timeless film. And I, I, I think that's not just a coincidence. I think Ridley must have done that on purpose. Um, and of course, I love the whole... Uh, cramp a uh, cramped aspect to this film um it's almost like you can feel every emotion the characters are feeling and that's because of how cramped it is it's like you're actually in the film there with them and all I've got to say is, is there's a like an elite tier of films and then there's a, there's a tier above that masterpieces where there's no uh cons to this and I think this is a like literally a masterpiece mm-hmm. like there's nothing, <clears throat> no bad aspects that bring this film down at no. all. Just the writing, 
the characters. I think they picked the right actors. You know, they picked very good actors, didn't they? Um, obviously, he's got one of the best jump scares of all time, one of the most iconic ones, and one of the best villains of all time as well. You think with a person, there's always going to be that aspect where they are inhuman and you can overpower them where a huge xenomorph is just, you're dead basically, isn't it? You know, mm-hmm. But yeah, it's I'll put this above the elite category into that masterpiece and this is generally one of the best films ever made. So, yeah. And certainly one of Ridley's best. So. Yeah. Um, yesterday I was thinking, I was trying to think, because I, I remember years ago, uh, I remember watching a, an old sort of 1950s black and white science fiction film. Yeah. And I finally, finally found what it was, and it was called It, The Terror From Beyond Space. Yeah. And it was made in 1958. So if I read you a little bit of the, the plot, yeah. see if this sounds familiar. In 1973, its nuclear-powered spaceship blasts off from Mars to for Earth, bringing with it the sole survivor of the first mission. He's suspected of having murdered the other nine members of his crew for their food and water rations. Um. He denies this allegation, saying that the crew were killed by a hostile humanoid life form. The uh, the commander is unconvinced and makes sure that Carruthers is constantly accompanied by another member of his crew. While the ship was on the Martian surface, an emergency hatch had been left open, allowing the cre- creature easy access. The crew at least are first sceptical that something crawled aboard while they were on Mars. However... When one of the crew members investigates odd sounds coming from a lower level, he's killed and his body hidden in an air duct. Yeah, it sounds very much <laughs> yeah. like mm-hmm. a bit like a yeah. you reckon Ridley may have taken. Well, there's a, there's a possibility that Dan Bannon, who wrote the yeah, screenplay, he wrote the screenplay uh, yeah. possibly saw this film and used that as kind of a, a, a to base the film on, because that's essentially what happens in the film. We yeah. haven't actually discussed the plot. Is that um, a deep space ship called the Nostromo? The crew are in a hypersleep and they're woken out of hypersleep to investigate a beacon on a on a planet, uh, and they initially think it's a distress beacon or a, you know f- to asking people for for rescue. So they land on the planet. Um, a team goes out to investigate. They come across an alien spaceship, and inside the spaceship is these egg type things, um, and while one of them's kind of looking over this egg, something bursts out and attaches to his face. They drag him back to the spaceship, and initially Ripley, who's, who's um, in charge at the time, refuses them access because they think, well, it's going to, obviously, they don't know what this creature is. It's going to contaminate the ship. But the science officer, played by Ian Holm, uh, actually overrides that and lets them in. Um and that's kind of how the the alien gets on board the spaceship. I don't really want to spoil it too much because there will there may be possibly people out there who haven't seen it, but it is that kind of um, they're battling this unknown thing. Um, it's a massive spaceship, a lot of dark areas for it's it like, to hide. It picks them off one by one, yeah, doesn't it? Yeah, but that, I know I know that that that's a, a common like subgenre of film yeah. nowadays. But this is like the the granddad of them. This is the it. It wasn't necessarily the first one, but it was the yeah. it was the first one that done it right. And it's one of those films where <clears throat> it doesn't. Sometimes a film can be good, yeah. but uh, this just film is just so paced well, and it's it's not a slog at all to get through. And it's just a pleasure to watch it the whole time, even though you know, people dying and stuff. It's just I can't really explain it. Like I said, it's it's 
just something about this film that you don't feel like like you're you're it's hard you don't feel like you're you're sat down for two hours or whatever yeah. watching this film. It's just it goes by so quickly. It's it's it, it's the suspense. Yeah. Um, oh yeah, that's what it builds. Paranoia as well. Mm. Uh, like like uh, Chiel said, there's there's lots of jump scares. Mm. <clears throat> there's a scene that um, involves uh, somebody going to, into the air ducts and they're tracking this person, and then they suddenly see another blip on it, and it's the alien coming up behind them. So that kind of, even though it's off happening off screen, it does still build the tension yeah. there as well. And so, like I said, when you're in the the air ducts, you can you can feel. The crampness and, and yeah. the tension that the characters are feeling—it's just well, you're so up close. It's a personal film because you're up close, personal with the characters. And yeah, I mean, like we said, for for second film, Ridley definitely set the bar high, and it just goes to show that he's made films since then that have, that have lived up to what Alien did as well. That just goes to show how great of a director he is. But yeah, definitely. I mean, you look at all the directors; they they tend to take a couple films here and there. And then they get a breakthrough film, maybe five years down the line or, or whatever, ten years, and then they they that's their proper career starting. But for a second film, and this is the thing: the Duelist and Alien, it's they're totally different films, mm, aren't they? Yeah, like, definitely. Yeah, yeah. It's got the same style, yes, but uh, it's for. But that's, but that's true of a lot of his films. The fact that they are they they they're not kind of in a single genre. No. He's not afraid to try different Do things. And like you were saying, there's a lot of directors who have success early on. They might have a great first film, but then just go on to maybe not... not Hit the heights. Re- yeah, repeat yeah. that success. Where Ridley Scott's done that, hasn't he? So, <clears throat> yeah. But yeah, no, literally, Alien is, is, I think for both of us, one of the best films yeah. ever made, isn't it? Yeah. So, um, He was involved in the 2003 restoration re-release, uh, which was the director's cut, but he, he wasn't happy with that. He felt that... The original was pretty flawless, and that yeah. the additional material was just used as a marketing tool just to sell it again. Just didn't need it, did you? No, no. I mean, it's okay. I think you know, introducing it to a, to a new audience, but mm. you don't need to sort of gimmicks of that kind of director's cut no. type of thing. But then, yeah, he went on um, nineteen eighty two. He was actually um, initially working on a film adaptation of Dune. Um, and then he signed on to direct a version of Philip K. Dick's novel, Do Androids Dream of Electric Sheep, which was retitled, obviously we all know, Blade Runner, starring Harrison Ford. And although it was a commercial disappointment, um, it's now regarded as a, a cult classic. Mm. Um, and a lot of that is down, I think, he blames the fact that the studio interfered as they had final cut um, and they included things like the happy ending, which he wasn't happy with, the voiceover, which he wasn't happy with. In 1991, um, his original notes were used by Warner Brothers to create a rushed director's cut, which removed the main character's voiceover and made a number of small changes, including the ending. And then later, Scott personally supervised the digital restoration of Blade Runner and proved what was called the final cut which was released in 2007. Um, so if you're going to watch it, watch the final cut, because that is what he said mm. um, is the definitive cut, and he's described it as his most complete and personal film ever. I mean, it's odd. I love the way in which no one can really define, like, 
of course there's there's genre, there's this film as genres, but no one can really define the the, the genres of Blade One. Is it a neo noir? Is it a sci fi? Is it an action film? It's, it almost oh, dips into all of them, doesn't yeah. it? And I mean, it's very neo noir in in the way that it is that kind of classic, almost fifties detective story. Yeah, um, and a lot of the motifs. Um, you look at the way Decker's dressed, and that is very much fifties um, yeah. inspired. But then obviously it's set in the future, so it's science fiction. It's just. I, I, it was actually set in the year 2019. Yeah, it's just come and go <laughs> yeah. on. But, um, yeah, I think if, if sometimes films can be, um, like, they can be a bit, strive to do too much, like, trying to dip into all these genres, but it works, doesn't it? And, yeah. I mean... It, I mean, it's, it's a complicated film, and some people may find it a little bit slow in parts, but... Um, you know, you, you just if you stick with it, I think you will. Yeah, you, just, uh, you may need two or three viewings of it. To just appreciate what you're yeah. watching, and I tell you what, you, it's it's an amazing. <clears throat> like I said, it's it's mental how when he came out with Alien, isn't literally his next film was Blade Runner, and that could stand up to Alien, couldn't it? You know yeah. what I mean? Because a lot of people do consider this one of the best sci-fi films of all time, and it's got such a dis like talk. We can talk about the genres, but it's got such a distinct style, mm. doesn't it? To it, yeah. It's like that. It almost started off a new subgenre. What's it called? Mm. Is it like uh, cyberpunk or something? Is that what it's called? Uh, yeah. yeah. Yeah, something like that. And um, it's been replicated many, many times mm -hmm. since. But it's, you don't do better than the original, yeah. do you? But no. yeah, it's got such a distinct style. And once again, you know, it's a, Rid a Ridley film. And I think also the monologue as well. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, the. The plot is where the Tyrell Corporation, they're producing what they call uh, replicants, which are genetically engineered humans. Um, but because of some issues they've been having with uh, emotional control, they're uh, designated for off-world use only, and they're used for like mining and other sort of hazardous jobs because they're built to be more human than human, so they're stronger, more intelligent. What they do lack is they lack any empathy, and so the only way to to actually um, to find out who is a replicant is to subject them to a test, which tests their a reaction to empathy. Um, but saying in, in the latest model, the the actual replicants will eventually um, learn empathy and will be undetectable. So that's why they're built with like a four year lifespan. And like I say, they're emotionally unstable, so they're they've been given um, fake memories to try to make them more controllable. Um, but the film uh, starts with six replicants. They escape from this mining colony, make it, colony, make it down to earth, um, and they cause some trouble. I think one of them gets killed. Um, Harrison Ford plays uh, an ex-police officer um, who's asked, you know, the, the old, <laughs> typical old... Uh, trope of he's, he's asked to come back um, mm. to a unit called Blade Runners who are dedicated to tracking down and, and essentially killing what they call retire but it's killing replicants um, the leader of this group is Roy Batty played by Rutger Hauer who I think is really the standout performer there, Yeah, again he's, he's one of those he only appears on screen for a very short amount of time uh, but his just performance is, is he, he does really um, steal the scenes from Harrison Ford. It's almost Shakespearean, Ford. isn't it? Yeah. His, his yeah. performance. Um, but what they're trying to do is they're trying to make, they're trying to get to meet um, Tyrell to try to extend their life. And when they finally do, 
he said there's nothing that you know he says there's nothing we can do to extend your life and so he ends up killing Terrell um Decker kills all but um Roy Batty and the end of the film is this um this uh, chase along the, the rooftops uh, and I'm going to spoil it here but, but it, it is pertinent to the film yeah Decker's jumping from one roof to another. He slips. He's hanging on. Roy Batty jumps across. He stood ab- above him, and you think he's going to just you know throw him off the building, but he doesn't. He grabs him and he helps him onto the building. He goes and sits down. He gives this fantastic monologue, and one then of the he, best, yeah. he just then dies. I mean, <laughs> I, I, it, it's it's very it's very ironic because the most humane thing about this movie is. A replicant saving Deckard, isn't it? Yeah. You know, <laughs> yeah. Um, and it, it it does it throws up all these kind of philosophical arguments about human. What is a human? What makes a human a human? Um, um, doesn't answer any questions, but it, it is. Uh, and I think that's that's kind of why people maybe weren't so sure about the film. Yeah, because it is a little bit complicated. But like I say, I I watched it again the other day, and I I forgotten how absolutely brilliant it is. Oh yeah. Once again it's another masterpiece, isn't it? That's two in a row for, for Scott. It's just like I said he has such a distinct style and the way he actually tells a story is like if you think about T V advertisement, you've got to get straight to the point and he the way he just tells his stories is just yeah. amazing and it's only a, it's a way only Ridley yeah. Scott can do. Yeah. So moving on is this isn't technically a film, but in, in 1984, he was um, he directed the, the a big budget television commercial that was shown during Super Bowl uh, 18, called 1984, and that was the Apple that was to launch the Apple Macintosh computer, um, and it, it cost three hundred and seventy thousand dollars, which is uh, mental for yeah. like a minute of a yeah. Um, and some some people consider this advertisement a watershed event in in advertising, which kind of um, defined a lot of advertising beyond yeah. that. Um, so, it, like I say, it's not a film. It, it's just it's worth noting. Um, it's just even even the even nineteen eighty four is such like Ridley Scott stylized, yeah. isn't it? And yeah. like I said, it, it, even though it may be only a minute, it's just it's. Um, you could just tell it was Ridley Scott, can't you? Yeah. It just is. And you obviously see his prowess in TV advertisement, yeah. you know. Because even going back to um, to some of his early advertising, um, like Chanel, uh, they were almost self-contained mini films, yeah. big budget as well. So, yeah, it, it, it definitely... Um... I mean, you can tell, like, a bit of story writing went into this. Yeah. And it, um, I believe it's, it's about... Uh, well, it's a dystopian future modelled on yeah. um, George Orwell's 1984. Um, and it, it's, it's about IBM, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, it's the big brother is IBM and the uh, Macintosh is the new um, the new sort of kid who's going to save humanity from IBM. So, yeah, it's, it's clever. You should give it a watch because it's very <laughs> stylized and it's very... It's, um, it's almost... Blade Runner-esque. I yeah. don't know why it is, yeah. isn't it? So, yeah. So, moving on. Um, we're not going to go into detail about every film that he's done. Uh, 1985, Scott directed a film called Legend, which is a fantasy film. Um, kind of set on like a once-upon-a-time once fairy tale type world of a princess, unicorn, and goblins. And it actually starred Tom Cruise. 
in one of probably one of his earlier films. Mia yeah. um, Sarah, Tim Curry. Um, like I say, we're not going to go into great detail on that, uh, but it, it was um, a major commercial failure. Uh, but again, one of those that's gone gone on to be a, a cult classic. Mm. After that, 1987, um, he directed a film called Someone to Watch Over Me, which was a, a romantic thriller, which kind of goes against everything he's sort of done before, mm. um, starring Tom Berenger and Mimi Rogers. Again, not going to go into massive detail over this because it, it wasn't, um, it wasn't, I mean, he actually lost money at the box office. But uh, the next film after that was 1989's Black Rain. Um, and I think you've got some notes about... No, it's just, I I, um, I like this film. Um, I think that Michael Douglas and Andy, Andy Garcia as our two main characters really good. And I like the plot as well. It's, it's about them tracking down a Yakuza member who escaped um, when they were going to take him to a prison in Osaka. And uh, once again, it's very stylized and... You can tell once again it's a Ridley Scott film, even though it's totally different to anything he'd ever done before, and that's just testament to him. And that is Ridley Scott all over. Even though he goes into branches out into different films, different styles, different genres, you can tell overall it's a Ridley Scott film, can't you? Yeah, yeah, and it's actually um, it was his first of six collaborations with Hans Zimmer, the yeah. composer as well. Um, One of his early works. Yeah. Uh, I've not seen it. I remember seeing it at the cinema. Um, I've not seen it recently, um, but I remember it was a. I wouldn't say the greatest film, but it's nah. you know it's it. it oh yeah, was, compared to Alien and, and yeah. Blade Runner, and like, but it's 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 a good, it's a good film, and, it's, <clears> and like I said, it's 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 a popcorn film. You can put it yeah. on, you can enjoy it. It's not bad, and it did have sort of mild commercial success as well. I think yeah, so yeah, it's a good film, and I think you should you should watch it, but it's. Don't expect it to be good as Alien, but it's a decent film, isn't it? Yeah, so yeah. Um then we move on to sort of the nineties. Um probably his biggest critical success was the nineteen ninety one film Thelma and Louise. This again is a kind of a departure from what he's done before. It's a female sort of buddy road crime thriller. Um it stars Gina Davis as Thelma, Susan Sarandon as, as Louise, and it's the breakout role for Brad Pitt and it's it's essentially two women go on a like a, a weekend vacation they end up going for a drink at a, a bar um, a confrontation happens and they end up actually shooting and killing a guy yeah. and then they go on the run um, and that's essentially the film um, spoiler alert doesn't have a very happy ending but again it's another film that he collaborated on with Hans Zimmer Um did have um, some commercial success as well. It does demonstrate that he um, is able to, to work across different genres um, and and that he is able to uh, to make a film about that's driven by uh, strong females again. Yeah. Um, moving on, his next project uh, was... 1492, The Conquest of Paradise, which really was a box office failure. Um, it's that, it's, it's, it, was, um, it was the 500th anniversary of Columbus's uh, 
Journey to to America, um, and it starred Joe Depardieu, the French actor, as Columbus. Um, features Sigourney Weaver as well again, so it's the second time that he 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 worked with uh, Sigourney Weaver, uh, and unfortunately, yeah, it was pretty much a box office failure. Budget of seven forty seven million, uh, he made fifty nine million, but. Um, <clears throat> interestingly enough, there was another film made about Christopher Columbus, which probably fared about the same. So neither of the Columbus films actually mm. actually were a box office success, uh, and because of that, he didn't make a film for another four years. Um, in nineteen ninety five, uh, Ridley Scott, his late brother Tony, who was an, another film director, formed a production company, Scott Free Productions. Um. I mean, Tony Scott is probably most well known for high octane um, action films like Top Gun. Um, they actually then that was the first film that they uh, that they produced, mm. um, and it's one called White Squall, which again is not one I've actually, I was familiar with. Um, it's a '96 disaster survival film. Um, it's a coming of age film in which a group of high school and college-aged teenagers sign up for several months of training aboard a sail ship and travel around the globe, and they run into a, a storm. Um, it stars Jeff Bridges in the role of the captain, um, and it's based on the 1962 book The Last Voyage of the Albatross. So again, it's not it's not a film I'd ever heard of before. No, me either, to um, be fair. I've not actually seen it. Again, it wasn't commercially successful, uh, from a budget of thirty-eight million, it made made ten million. Oh, it is worth noting that every film that they made um, after, including White Squall, was actually made through their own production company, Scott Free mm. Productions. Uh, one of which was the um, nineteen seventy-seven war drama film starring Demi Moore and Viggo Mortensen, um, GI Jane, and. It's the it tells a fictional story of the first woman to undergo special operations training similar to the US Navy SEALs. It received mixed reviews. Um, Mars performance received criticism and she won the Razzie Award for Worst Actress. And it also performed poorly at the box office, grossed forty eight million on a fifty million dollar budget. Uh, I don't know why. Um, I, I remember it was a, it was a decent film. Um, I think the the storyline was good. And once again, it's another yeah strong female driven character. Yeah. Um, moving on to the two thousands, and I think this is probably um, one of his best periods. Yeah. Um, obviously, the first film of the two thousand was the two thousand film Gladiator, which was going to be his biggest critical and commercial success. I mean, it won five Academy Awards, including Best Picture, Best Actor, and he, he was nominated again for Best Director, but mm. didn't win it. Um, what can we say about... Um, Once again, it's another masterpiece, just let's yeah. get that out of the way. Um, it also started a bit of a collaboration with Russell Crowe, didn't it, as well? Yeah, it did, yeah. And um, it really did fire Russell Crowe into that A-list celebrity um, status, didn't yeah, it? Yeah, definitely, yeah. Because I think the the film prior to that was the Insider he yeah. made with um, Al Pacino, um, for which he, I think he put on about sixty pounds in weight. Yeah, and he had to lose. And all, he had to lose he? all that for for Gladiator. But yeah, um, 
this is always going to be on my list of favourite films, I think. Yeah. Uh, again, it's visually stunning. It's um, The story is strong. And it's one of those historical epics, but it's kind of based on some of the characters are, are real yeah. and did exist. Uh, some of the events did happen as well. Um, but like I say, another collaboration with Hans Zimmer for the, uh, for the score. Yeah. It's a truly beautiful score, isn't it? Yeah. Um, it's one, like I said, it's one of those films where how how do you how can you say something about it that's not already been said? Like I said, it's yeah. one of certainly one of Ridley Scott's best films, and um, yeah, like we said, the cinematography is beautiful. Um, he filmed it parts in England, but he also filmed it in Spain as well, didn't he? In, uh, the, yeah. Well, it was, it was actually in North Africa and Malta, Malta. that they filmed it. Um, that she had to build, I think it was a um, segment of a yeah, segment of the Colosseum uh, in Malta. Because the, the story is uh, Russell Cole, he plays a, um, a Roman general. Um, they f- finally um, had their last battle against the Germanic tribes. Marcus Aurelius, who was the emperor, played by Richard Harris, um, he's dying. Um, Marcus. Um, Wants to go home, sorry. Maximus wants to go home back to his um, back to his farm in Spain. Um, Marcus asks him to stay on. Um, after he dies, he doesn't want his son Commodus to inherit um, the emperor or become emperor because he doesn't feel that he's um, he's a good man, a just man to do it. So he asks Maximus to become protector of Rome and to return it back to the Republic. So Commodus overhears this and actually um, kills his own father. And then he asks for uh, Maximus's hand. Um, and Maximus, suspecting that Commodus had something to do with his father's death, refuses it. So um, Commodus orders that Maximus be killed. Um, he's taken out um, and he actually manages to escape uh, from there goes back to Spain, his farm, finds that his wife and children have been his wife and child have been killed and his farm's been burnt. Um he then finds his way into a into gladiator school um in northern Africa, being run by an ex gladiator Oliver Reed. Um as part of the celebrations to celebrate um the the life of his father Commodus organises weeks and weeks of games, including gladiatorial combat. So um, that that allows Maximus to come back to Rome, um, He where he meets Commodus. Um, and I think, I don't really want to spoil it, because I think we've gone into this film. It's a, it's a revenge film. Yeah, it's it? basically it a revenge film. Um, Commodus is on our list of most evil yeah. villains. Um, He's a villain it's really where you... performance. Yeah, it's a brilliant performance. I yeah. believe Joaquin Phoenix won Best Sporting, didn't he? I think he did, yeah. 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 I mean, he totally deserved it because this is one of the films where you physically hate the villain, yeah. don't you? Yeah, and definitely. you actually... It, yeah. To get hate out of someone uh-huh. is must be a brilliant performance. Um, again, it's it's not a happy ending, if I want to spoil it. It's like <laughs> a bit bittersweet, isn't bittersweet, it? Bittersweet, really? yeah. Um but there are rumours about a second Gladiator film. Yeah, I've heard that. Um, um, directed by Ridley Scott, yeah. And so, starring Russell Crowe. Yeah, so, so we'll have to wait and see how <laughs> they get out of that one. Yeah, like, <laughs> just, to, just to sum it up, Gladiator is, is, like I said, there's three films 
that Ridley's going to be known for, and it's Alien, Blade Runner, and Gladiator. Mm-hmm. And like I said, it's my, Gladiator is one of my favorite films all time. I think it's one of your favorite films. Yeah. And for me personally, yeah. I think this is the best film Ridley's done. And it's odd because he started out so strong, didn't he, with, with yeah. Alien and, and Blade Runner. And then he had a period where his films just were box office um, bombs or they weren't, they didn't get to the highs of Alien or Blade Runner mm-hmm. and then just glad it almost come out of nowhere, didn't it? Yeah. So, yeah. but yeah, definitely one of my favourite films of all time. Okay. Um, next film he made was in 2001. It was the um, film Hannibal starring Anthony Hopkins as Hannibal Lecter. This was the sequel to um, The Silence of the Lambs um, and it's about set 10 years after uh, that. Silence of the Lambs, obviously no, Hannibal Lecter escapes um, and he he winds up in Italy. Um, not going to go into great detail with that. Um, it was a commercial success despite being uh, receiving mixed reviews. Um, it did reintroduce the character of Clary Starling, but that was actually um, played by Juliana Moore instead of uh, uh, Jodie Foster. Foster. Yeah. Um, Scott's next film was the 2000 film Black Hawk Down, which, again, is, is one of my particular favourites. Yeah. It's loosely based on real events. Um, it's, uh, it's based on a non-fiction book of the same name by journalist Mark Bowden, and it's about the US military's 1993 raid in, in Mogadishu. And it's ensemble cast. You've got Josh Hartner, Ewan McGregor, Eric Banner... Tom Sizemore, William Fitchner, Sam Shepard, and Tom Hardy in its first film role. Um, it won two Academy Awards, one for Best Film Editing and one for Best Sound. Um, it's set in Somalia, um, which is under civil war. Um, a group of uh, US Army Rangers are sent in to, uh, to actually capture some of the um, high-ranking members of the rebel government um, and they end up getting pinned down um, and so then a rescue mission is is, um, is sent in to obviously rescue them um, and in all the fighting two uh, Black Hawk helicopters are shot down um, which I think is, is was unprecedented at that mm-hmm. time um, and it just details the, the fighting um, and the rescue mission I, th- I think it's 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 one of the most real war movies ever made, isn't it? I mean, it puts you right in the action, doesn't it? And yeah, it, it literally makes you feel like you're there. And again, it's it's visually stunning. You, yeah. you can see it's um it's uh, a Ridley Scott film. Um, and again, it's it's a favourite film. Yeah. Um, the the I remember watching the documentary about the real events, and it, it does kind of stick to the real events. And there there are some. When you're making a historical drama like that, you do have to take some liberties. So, you know, some characters are consolidated into a single character because else you'd have like a, a film with 300 characters. Yeah. Right? And that'd be difficult to follow. But again, it, it, it is entertaining. Um, I think it's got appeal. If you like action films, if you like war films, it's got that sort of cross appeal mm. as well. Um, anything else on that? That's just, once again, it, it, it's, it's a. Um it was the perfect film, after, obviously, after coming after Gladiator. It was really, it had to live up to that being his next, uh, 
you know, obviously he had Hannibal, but then he brought it back from Hannibal and he made a really good film in Black Hole Down. So, yeah, yeah give that one a watch. Yeah. Um, the next film is the 2003 black comedy Matchstick Men, um, and it stars Nicolas Cage, Sam Rockwell, and Alison Lohman. Um, and it, it's basically about a group of con men. Um, I won't go into too much detail on there. Again, it wasn't so; it didn't do very well at the box office. It, it basically made its budget back, and again, it 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 was okay. You know, it's got an average rating of seven out of ten, so it, it's not a bad film. It's worth watching. Um, it's one of those that I don't. I didn't realize it was a Ridley Scott film till I saw the credits because it's not. Yeah. It's not. Um, it's not immediately. Um, His uh, Recognizable as a yeah. as a. As a Ridley Scott film, um, but again, it's 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 worth watching. And two thousand and five, he made the, the modestly successful again, The Kingdom of Heaven, and it's a film about the Crusades, and it stars Orlando Bloom. Um, um, it's set, set during the Crusades of the twelfth century. A French village blacksmith, uh, played by Orlando Bloom, goes to aid of the King of Jerusalem in its defense against the Muslim Sultan Saladin. Um, again, it, it's it's visually stunning. You, you can tell it's a Ridley Scott film, um, but it, it didn't, you know, it wasn't so um, success, successful at the box office, and it, you know, it wasn't critically well uh, well received either. Um, uh, Scott's next film was uh, his second collaboration with Russell Crowe. It was a good year uh, in two thousand and six. And I think it's his first romantic comedy. Um, and it's essentially Russell Crowe um, inherits um, a property in France from his um, parents. He travels to Provence to prepare a quick sale. And then he sort of falls in love and decides to stay there. Um, so, yeah, it, it is. Again, it, what, it wasn't critically or... Or commercially successful, and it it seems odd that it seems to be a a theme throughout his career. Yeah, he'll have like a massive box office success, and then he'll have a few films that maybe they're passion projects. I don't know. It just just don't seem to do as well. No, and then again he'll he'll come back with a massive, um, yeah, a, a massive blockbuster again. Um, so his next film was American Gangster. Um, and it's uh, based on a real-life story of drug kingpin, uh, kingpin Frank Lucas. Um, and this, is, again, is another film from 2007. Uh, and it, I've got to admit, sorry, it's another collaboration with, uh, with Russell Crowe. And uh, it also stars Denzel Washington. And I must admit, I only watched this film the other day. I'd, n- I'd never seen it before. Like I said, I'd, I'd seen it, um, you know, when you're scrolling through yeah. on Netflix or, or whatever, um, and I just never really watched it. Um, and then I watched it the other day, and it is, it is a really good really film. Really good film, yeah. yeah. Um, it's described as a biographical crime film, but there is, I wouldn't say it was an action film no. either. Um, bit of drama, yeah, bit. Yeah. yeah. I mean, Denzel Washington stars as Frank Lucas. He's kind of the right-hand man of the, the current mob boss uh, when when he dies he kind of takes over um, and instead of sourcing his drugs from the actual because 
what happens is the, the there's corrupt police, uh, and what they do is they they arrest people, confiscate their drugs, and then sell it back to the dealers, um, and that's the way it's worked. Um, and what Frank Lucas does is instead of buying it from the police, he decides to source it himself from because uh, this is set in the sixties and seventies. He's got a contact out who's in the army out in Vietnam, so he mm. actually travels to Vietnam to the source and buys it directly from there. Um, Russell Crowe plays a police officer. Um, him and his partner come across a car filled with a million dollars in um, uh, obviously criminal money, and they have a choice whether to turn it in or not, and they decide to turn it in, and because they did, they're basically seen as pariahs from the rest of the police department because the rest of the police department is corrupt. (laughs) And so they see that as a sign that they can't trust them. So nobody wants to work with when, um, actually when his partner dies of a drug overdose, nobody wants to work with him. So they offer him the opportunity to head up this anti-drug task force. Um, and he's basically tasked with, um, finding out where the drugs are coming from. Uh, and when he finds out it's Frank Lucas, he's then tasked, obviously, with bringing him to justice. Um, and it's it's a really good film. Um, Once again, it's another Ridley Scott story-driven yeah. film. And um, like like you, obviously, because we watched it together, didn't we? I've, yeah. I've scrolled past it many times, and it's just I knew it was Ridley Scott, but I just didn't know if it was my type of film. But it's, it's a really amazing film. Yeah. I was really surprised. Yeah, definitely. Um Again, it's it, it's not really got a lot of action, um, but it, it you, you come away from it and you are satisfied. I think. Yeah, I definitely. mean, I, I think where it's like because it's like we said, it's, a, it's I think the, the the main drama of this film is a drama, isn't it? You know, there's a lot of um, situation like there's a lot of just sat on talking di- like um, with like Frank doing his deals and stuff, yeah. you know. Yeah. But the third act, I mean, it's. <clears throat> It's really tense third act, you know, they like yeah. storm this apartment block, don't they, where they're based. Yeah. And it um I think the reason why it... Well it's like that cat and mouse thing where, you know, he's always a step ahead of the police. Yeah. But then eventually they catch up with him. And like you say, there's there's a scene at the end where they actually they storm this um this building that's being used for packaging the co- uh, the heroin. And it is quite brutal because obviously there's lots of guards there. Um, yeah, it's a very violent film. Yeah. Right? They don't yeah. take away from the violence, but yeah, it's a very good film. And, and once again, it just shows that Ridley has a few um, box of bombs, and then again, he has an, he has another brilliant mm. film that he's going to be remembered for. So yeah. that's good. Yeah. Um, next film is <laughs> Body of Lies, and it's a two thousand and eight um, action thriller. I don't know if you've seen this. No. Again, it's another collaboration with Ridley Scott. Well, this time it uh, stars Leonardo DiCaprio as well. And it's set in the Middle East. It's all around um, sort of uh, CIA, intelligence and terrorism. Um, and what they're trying to do is catch this um, terrorist leader. So in order to do that, they actually set up their own terrorist group. Um, it's, it's a good film. I enjoyed it. Um it didn't do so so well again. It wasn't. It was one of those critically and and just happens, yeah. It? Yeah, yeah. But I thought it was a really good film, mm. um, and it's, it is worth watching it. Um, so the next one was the uh, Robin Hood, <laughs> uh, 
which um, I think was a, a decent film, um, good ad- adaptation. Uh, but I don't know what you can do with Robin Hood. That isn't yeah. hasn't always been That's done the thing before. Is, you're always going to be telling this really the same story, aren't yeah. you? Yeah, and I think what what made it what what made it really not so good was Crow's kind of accent throughout the film. He changed his accent, <laughs> and I think that was kind of a little bit distracting. Um, yeah. I remember him once walking out of an interview that where he was asked about his accent, and and he. Yeah, and he actually he, he ended the interview and walked out. So, <laughs> <laughs> but again, like I say, you can't really say a lot about Rob, Robin Hood. Is Robin Hood? Yeah, you know, everyone it, knows the story. Yeah, they? I mean, it was yeah. again. It was you know, it was a really Scott film. It was shot really well. It was cinematography was great, but it's just another Robin Hood film. Yeah. So, um, yeah. So his his next film was the two thousand and nine uh, Prometheus. Which was his um, sequel to the Alien film, or prequel? Sorry, isn't it to the to the Alien films? And that stars Charlize Theron, uh, Michael Fassbender, and Numi Rapace. Um, I'll tell you what is is. Um, I've only seen this once. I well, think well, this is the thing. It came it came out in two thousand nine that it, that Ridley Scott was because. The Alien franchise, obviously James Cameron did two, and that the first two are considered classics, isn't they? Yeah. And the other next yeah. two, um, that just did that. They were absolute box office bombs. They were terrible, and they almost tarnished the Alien franchise itself. Yeah. And in 2009, news came out that Ridley Scott was uh, doing a prequel, and you think, oh, prequel to Aliens, and it's Ridley Scott. Oh, it's his his baby, isn't it? It's his creation. Yeah. And it. It came out in 2012, and I'll tell you what, this film isn't isn't good. Um, I mean, it's not a bad film. If you if you take away the whole alien aspect, it's a good film, but it's not an alien film because it, it goes into all this ideology, and I think he tries too hard in places. Um, I mean, you can see there's alien aspects in it. You know, you, you can um, you know like see the eggs, and it's uh, Michael Fassbender plays the the um. I think it's the droid is it the um yeah yeah, yeah science but, officer yeah but it's just it's it's a really I, weird what, film what i find about prequels is a lot of the time they try too hard to try and tie into the film yeah the the sequel of that I just, I just, it it goes like i said it goes into all this ideology and you think alien what makes alien what makes the first two really successful is that they're, they're um simple and they execute it well and this thing, when you have a simple film, it's, it makes it easy to execute. And like this, Prometheus, like I said, I think just Ridley tried too hard, and he tried to be. Um, it's not his style to be this like ideology, like put all this ideology in his film. You know, he's straight to the point. Like I said, he's a he's a he's come from a TV advertisement background. Like it's straight to the point. But this is just he almost beats around the bush to what actually is the alien story. And yeah, in my opinion, this is just not a good prequel film like I said it's not bad if you take away the alien bit it's a decent film but yeah it's not a good not a good uh, alien film and I don't really I've only seen it a couple of times and it's not one I'll watch again so okay yeah I agree yeah Um, his next film was the uh, 2013 crime thriller uh, The Counselor Uh, I've got to admit I've not actually seen this no me either Um, it's written by uh, Cormac McCarthy and it stars Michael Fassbender. 
um, and it, it's about a, um, a high-level lawyer who got, gets involved in drug deals um, in Mexico-Texas border. Uh, like I said, I've not really seen it, um, so I'm really common. It's one that I was going to watch the other day. Um, but it's not on anything, is it? No, I couldn't yeah. find it on anywhere to watch. Um, looking at it, it was it was a moderate success at the box office. Um, it didn't, you know, it's got like a four out of ten rating, so it wasn't again another not a great film of his. Mm. Uh, again, it's not one that I've particularly heard of either. Um, which it is so sometimes that's often telling if there's not yeah. a lot of there's not a lot of marketing around no. it. Um, his next film after that was Exodus Gods and Kings. Um, it's a 2014 biblical epic, and it obviously deals with um, the exodus of the Hebrews from Egypt, led by Moses. Um, again, I'm not. I haven't seen it. I'm not a particular big. A fan of that genre no, me of the film um, it wasn't again um, a box office success or a, or a, a criti- critical success I don't really remember getting much media yeah, attention again it's one of those that really didn't get a lot of media attention so um, his next film after that was a return to the science fiction genre and that's The Martian uh, in 2015 um, and it stars Matt Damon, um, and it's essentially about uh, a a mission to Mars, um, where Matt Damon's character gets stranded after the rest of his team are killed, um, and it's about him trying to stay alive, essentially, um, and trying to communicate with Earth, and them trying to help him get back home. Um, again. It's beautifully filmed. You can tell it's a Ridley Scott film. Um, it's a lot of the a lot of the time is spent, obviously, on Matt Damon uh, on his own. And that's it's one of the hardest things is, is for your film to focus on one person and one person only. Um, but it's just a testament to how great Ridley Scott is that he was able to to focus on Matt Damon for a large part of the film and going about his, basically his day-to-day life. And uh, what I love is, is it really shows um, mankind's, like, strive to do... When they when you put your mind to it, you do it. And it's got, like, really, like, um, themes of, like, uh, hopefulness and, um, like I said, trying to strive to get something done. And it's got those themes all, all over, you know. But, yeah, it just it follows that same trend of him having you know, not very good films, and then another blockbuster does really well, and it's quite um, highly rated as well. It's, it's 8.0 on IMDb, so it's, it's once again, it's, it's another critically acclaimed film from Ridley Scott, and once again, a film that he'll be remembered for, so. got to say, I'm not a big fan of Mac Damon, but I actually enjoyed this film. Yeah, because yeah. he's written in a way where... You can see Mark Watney, not Matt Damon. Yeah, so. yeah, definitely. All right, so his next film was the 2017 science fiction horror film Alien Covenant. Now, this was a sequel to Prometheus, so it's a sequel to a prequel. And it again stars um, Michael Fassbender. 
So um, I'll, I'll admit that I've not actually seen this film. Lucky man. <laughs> <laughs> so I'll leave it to you to describe. Well, this is the thing. Um, it's better than, than Prometheus. I'll give it that because it's much more streamlined in the fact that it doesn't have this over this theme of like ideology or whatever. And it's, it's alien again. Like it, it follows a crew and they get hunted down by the xenomorphs. But this time the xenomorphs are different to the original. Um, they're like, obviously where it's a prequel, they're a bit, um, xenomorphs fully evolved, uh, in, in Alien, nineteen seventy nine one, obviously where it's set in uh, in the future compared to this film, but um, yeah, it's a different it's a different xenomorph, so it's a different um, challenge, but it's just it's, it follows some of the same themes as as the original Alien, but it's just like that just that uh, mid twenty tens schlocky action, and it just is that yeah, as well. It's right. um, I think it relies on carnage. I like the word carnage candy, where it's just it show as much violence, show as much um, uh, like cheap action as possible, so you don't have to. Uh, it's not got like the smart writing as Alien did. It's not got the same uh, atmosphere. Because so, uh, that, if you think about it, the original Alien based the whole film on its atmosphere and the tension. Where this just doesn't have any of it. Like I said, it's really schlocky twenty tens action that you'd expect from a much lesser director than Ridley Scott but yeah it's it's not a good film like I said I, I can watch this one I'll put on is if I'm not in the mood to watch some like really brutal drama you can put it on have fun with it it's, it's better than Prometheus but like I said it doesn't go quite into the ideology because I think he got a bit of hate for that because it, it didn't make sense in Prometheus mm-hmm. but it's a bit better but I I regretted going to the cinema to watch this because it wasn't very good, so. Okay. So we'll move on to his sort of last film that he's made. Um, it's 2017 crime thriller, All Money in the World. Now, I watched this, and I didn't realise when I watched it, it was actually a Ridley Scott film. And it's only when I watched it that I realised that, and I thought, yeah, it's, it's a Ridley Scott film. It actually looks like a, a Ridley Scott film. Um, it's all around um, John Paul Getty. He's the multi-billionaire oil tycoon played by Christopher Plummer, who actually replaced Kevin Spacey at the last minute. Um, and in 1973, his grandson, John Paul Getty III, was um, kidnapped. And he essentially refused to pay the ransom. <laughs> So the richest man in the world re- refuses to um, to pay the ransom. Um, it stars Mark Wahlberg, who is kind of an advisor of the Getty family. Um, and he is essentially tasked with finding the kid. Or he actually, sorry, no, he isn't. He actually promises um, the kid's mother that he's going to get him back and he's going to find him. Um, they... The actual ransom is seventeen million dollars, which is easy for yeah. you know somebody of that that money mm. to uh, to get. Um, but he's treating it like a business transaction, and so Mark Wahlberg's acting as like the go-between, and they're negotiating it like it's a business deal, where his his son's his grandson's life is in, in actually in the balance. Yeah, 
Um, and he wants it to be a million dollars because that's the maximum amount that he can claim as tax deductible, which is like bizarre. This guy sounds like an arsehole. Yeah, yeah, he was pretty much, yeah. Because um, obviously <laughs> the way rich people stay rich is they don't give their money away. No. But you would think that, you know... Um, it's, it's your own blood, you know. Yeah, you exactly. Um, but it does, it ends up with the, the kid actually being... I think he he's not actually released. They actually go in and get him, I believe. Um, and it's a good film. Yeah, it's it's, it's kind of got action and, and it's that kind of um, suspense as well. Uh, but it just... I don't know if it's true, but it just shows, like you say, yeah. <laughs> What an asshole he is that, you know, his kids, his grandson's being held ransom. I mean, it's, it's based on a true story. I mean, yeah, and he's, he's treating it like it's a business mm. deal, you know, and he's always he's always working out an angle, you know, mm. what's, what's the minimum amount that I can, I can give him? Uh, it's tax deductible, and then, so it doesn't cost me anything. Like I said, it's, it's yeah. what, what I like is, is that a lot, a lot of people don't know the, the, the story. This is a real, this has actually happened, and this guy was that much of an arsehole yeah. and he actually he um did treat his own grandson like it was a yeah. business deal yeah. so um you know it, it, i think it made 57 million from the 50 million so it wasn't a commercial success but i think some of that doubt some of was that down to them having to recast yeah um obviously the, the kevin spacey yeah, situation definitely um and that was his last uh film that, we, that he, he made um he does have yeah, he's quite a few in the running, doesn't he? It's, yeah, it's, in in production. Um, obviously, due to COVID, they have to be pushed back. Yeah. But. Um, like I say, there's a Gladiator two coming out, and unfortunately, there's another uh, Alien prequel. So. <laughs> Yay. Yay. And amazingly, for for a director of sort of his caliber, he has never won an Academy Award yeah. for Best Director. He's been nominated. That's mental, that is. He got nominated for Thelma and Louise, Gladiator, Black Hawk Down, um, and The Martian as Best Picture, but he's never won one. Um, he's what nearly eighty-three now. Yeah. yeah. And I've got to say, right, I was I was looking, uh, I was going to do, I was doing the cover for the podcast, mm. and I could not find one picture of him where he's actually smiling. <laughs> <laughs> but I think all in all, you've got to say that he's probably you know one of the. Best directors that England's produced. Oh yeah, and I think I think overall, top five, maybe even top three of all yeah, time. So definitely, just the, the caliber of his films, how many films there, how long he's been going for, how old he is. You can take that all into account. But yeah, if you just look at those absolute classics like Alien, Blade Runner, Gladiator, maybe even American Gangster, just those caliber films, he's definitely one of the best of all time, isn't he? Yeah, and I think yeah. although some of his films have you know been mixed. I think, all in all, if you can say that you've made films that have defined a genre, yeah, and that have been copied by lots of other directors, then you can probably say, yeah, you know, I'm a, I'm a good director. Yeah, oh, 100 percent. So yeah. Okay, so that's uh, run out of time now. So um, all that's left uh, is for me to thank Cheeto. Thank you, um, and thank the audience for listening. Um, we do have. You know, the various social media channels, Instagram, TikTok, Facebook, Twitter, YouTube. So you can always catch our additional content there. Um, we always try and do a, a podcast every week. And I think what we're doing next week is 
failed productions, aren't yeah, we? All, yeah, all we're doing um, productions. Yeah, we're doing sort of productions that either films that have never been made, essentially, or films that took ages, you know, were in development hell. Um, so please join us for that. Um, and I've got to say thank you for joining us. Thank and you very much. Hopefully, see you next week. Bye. Bye.